Hello and welcome to the eTalking podcast from Motion E, the place to find thought-provoking content on Formula E, electric vehicles and electric motorsport. I'm Stuart Garlick. In this podcast, I talk to Katie Munnings. Katie is a rally driver who is currently competing in the JWRC class of the World Rally Championship. She's on the driver's program for Extreme E, the electric off-road series that kicks off in 2021. Katie might be better known to some parents for having presented Katie's Amazing Machines. This was a series that appeared on on the CBBC channel and also has been sold all over the world in syndication. Uh, It's a great series if you get the chance to look at it. Uh, It's uh, where she introduces all different kinds of performance and racing car. Uh, together with her little intelligent robot Speedy that gives her the challenge for the day. It's been described as Top Gear for children and I wouldn't argue with that description. It's a good show. If you want to know more about Extreme I've written an article on that topic on MotionE.org. If you'd like to support MotionE on Patreon, then for as little as a dollar a month, you can get full audio in advance of the podcast, plus exclusive writing. Anyway... With no further ado, here's my interview with Katie Munnings. Was it the environmental interest that got you into Extreme E, or was it the chance to compete in electric vehicles, or or was it uh, maybe the fact that you were going to be up against, you know, world-class opposition like this? It's a real combination, really, um, that sparked my interest in the championship. Um, obviously, a big part of that was the kind of pedigree of drivers that were associating themselves with the championship. I think at first I didn't really understand the format of it. Um, you know, being in the driver's program doesn't necessarily mean you have a drive. Um, it's more of a selection group. Um, and it was, there's, you know, there's quite a few ins and outs of it that make it a great championship, but it can take a while to get your head around. Um, so I think at the beginning I was a bit confused about that and I didn't really see the opportunities there. Um, but having spoken to the team a bit more, and especially now with the rule change being 50-50 female and male splitting the teams, um, you know, I kind of, I'd already signed up by that point, but that was sort of... The icing on top of the cake really um obviously the environmental side was a massive thing for me um because it's, it's always been like there hasn't been a bridge in motorsport really i know in the, in the more recent years we've had uh, kind of electric racing but from the kind of off-road rally scene um it's always been quite traditional you know petrol and uh, <laughs> big noisy engines um so it, it was a really nice um sort of bridge between those two worlds obviously i absolutely love rally and that's kind of where my heart is but at the same time this is, you know, very, very similar. And um, yeah, the cars are massive and um, it's, it's going to be different driving an SUV, but very similar off-road kind of techniques and the bases will be the same. And um, so that's really appealing to me. And also the work that they're going to be doing in the communities that we're going to visit is something that I'm really passionate about as well. Um, so it was a combination that kind of tied it all together in the end, inevitably. Um, and we'll just hope for the best outcome when the selection process comes. Given that you might be joining Extreme e in 2021, um, how disappointing is it for you that uh, you haven't been able to get that full WRC season under your belt this season? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, you know, the nature of motorsport, whether it's kind of, you know, a global pandemic or whether it's something else, there's always limiting factors to it. And for me, that's always sort of been budget wise. Um, for the last few years, you know, last year, we, you know, it was, it was a bad season for us in the way that we were very unlucky. It was one of those years in motorsport where we had mechanical problems, we had early retirements and we didn't, you know, last year in total, we drove, I think it was just over 200 kilometres which is actually the same, exactly the same as what it would have been to do one WRC event. So that was in our full season. Um, So that was quite, um, it was very difficult because you have to have so much experience. You have to be learning all the time. You have to be um, kind of keeping your eye in the same as you, same way as you're a footballer. You know, you wouldn't ask a Premier League footballer to just go onto the pitch and perform. He has to be kicking a ball between matches. Um, So to not have that consistency is very difficult as a driver. Um, but I have to say it's something that I've been used to. It's not like I've been a driver that's been testing every weekend and has had the budgets and things to do that. I haven't been in a position like that before. So it's it's not new to me, although it's gutting. And obviously, I'd love to be able to take that um, kind of experience forwards and hit the ground running with next year. It is the same for all drivers at the minute. You know, nobody's testing. Unless you have a rally track in your back garden and a rally car there, then I don't think anyone's doing much at the minute. Um, so I think mentally, I'm able to cope with that a lot better than I would if I hadn't been in this situation before. So um, I, I was reading that your all-time hero is Michelle Mouton. Yeah, she's she's an awesome woman. She's now the FIA Safety Delegate for Rally as well. So I've seen her in some events before. Um, 
she's given me some advice um yeah she's she is really cool um she's definitely someone that I still look up to I think what she did when she did it in rally was absolutely phenomenal phenomenal to be on that level with the boys um and I don't really think we've had anyone like that I know that we've had you know fast women out there but to have got the manufacturer backing and to have been in the position that she was it was quite amazing to do what she did can you see any particular reason why uh women aren't getting to the top yeah, I think ultimately, you know, the teams are always going to be looking for the fastest drivers, um, rightly so. And I think the reason that we're not seeing women at the top of, you know, not just rally, motorsport in general now, I think it's because when you look at the entry level, we're talking about, you know, the kids getting in carts or people entering club rallies um, at a kind of junior level and accessible level for most people. Um, there's not the numbers of females going in that there are of, of the men. You know, if you look at that pool and imagine it like a bath, it's 80% filling up with boys and only about 20% filling up of, of girls. And so to pick one champion out of that, your chances are, you know, they're going to be the boys because not every boy that enters at grassroots makes it inevitably to the top. The same as not every female that enters makes it. Um, so I think it's just, you know, there's a lot of factors to it. And yes, of course, motorsport historically has been very male dominated. I think there would there wouldn't I don't think that if there was a woman on the level that was fast enough to be there um, and to be competitive with the boys I don't think her gender would hold her back from team selection. I think the problem that we're having is getting girls in at the right level to be able to then develop themselves so that they are on the same level and they're not kind of on a back foot from it. Yeah, and giving them the track time or the stage time as well, obviously. Um, and that, that's, I think, why uh, Extreme E is so exciting, or one of the reasons, because uh, they're, they're having one man and one woman per car. Um, how, how important is, is that for the development of the championship and making it different to all the others? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, historically, I don't think it's ever really happened in the way that it's going to happen. Um, you know, you can have a female in a, in a team or as a test driver, um, but... If, if that result isn't counting towards the overall team, then, you know, you could argue in the past it's been done for PR reasons or to attract a bit of attention. But actually here, this is going to affect everyone's result. You know, they've taken the boys seriously for years in motorsport and the women that are being selected are going to be seen in exactly the same light because they're going to have to be able to be fast to support that male driver and inevitably support, the you know, the overall team result. Um, so I think that's, that is massive because it brings a whole level of credibility to female drivers and um, it really does give, you know, the ones that take it seriously is the chance to flourish in that environment. And I think especially I'm excited coming from a rally background. Um, I know a lot of the drivers that have signed up have come from, you know, a track background. I feel quite lucky to have had experience, you know, on snow, on ice, on gravel, um, on, on in lots of different conditions in lots of different climates as well. So I think I'll be able to bring some of that experience to the table as well. Um, and then I'm excited to be, you know, to see who you get paired with um, and hopefully have a really strong team. And then it's that kind of teamwork element that comes into it as well. Um, I've done rallies before where I've co-driven for other rally drivers and that teamwork um, and that passion is something that I absolutely love. You know, being both drivers in the car, both knowing exactly how it feels. It's not one co-driver that just reads the pace notes we're literally swapping over. So it'll be uh, uh, the female will start the race and then the male has to finish the race, both in the driving seat. So I think it's an amazing way to do it. Um, and it will really be, it will have to be 50-50. You know, the, they're going to have to be compromises on how you set the cars up as well. It's going to have to suit both drivers. Um, so that the kind of domineering um, aspect of men in motorsport is going to be really overshadowed by this whole championship, I think. So um, whoever's not driving <coughs> will will be will be doing the co-driving then effectively. Yeah, that's exactly it. They haven't right. really announced the ins and outs of the rules of you know the pit stops and the changes, but it, from from what they've said so far is it will be one lap for a female, one lap for a male, and you can you can um, strategically in your teams decide if you want to run the male first or the female first. Um, and then obviously the combined time goes together, but they have to read the pace notes while you're not driving. So there's a bit of multi multitasking going on there. And um, yeah, it's, I've, I've done it before. I've read the pace notes before and it's not what you expect when you're actually in the rally car. So I think for a lot of teams, I'll be with some adjustments and have to do a lot of training on that as well. Well, absolutely. And it's, it's like asking somebody who's done the same thing for, you know, 20 years to, to do something totally different. I mean, I, I'm trying to imagine Sam Bird or Andre Lotter reading pace notes. It, it, it's going to be something you're used to, but something they're not used to, you know? Yeah, it's funny. I actually, I read pace notes for the first time last year. I did um, Monza Rally Show, actually, with Reese Yates, and we were in an R5. Um, and that time, I, you know, I've only ever sat on the left seat, um, on the on the driver's seat. And it was a real shock to me, actually, reading the pace notes, because I'm so used to looking out the window, looking at the braking points, looking at the line and judging. That's, how, you know, that's what rally is for me. 
Um, that's what motorsport is for me. So to be then to my job was to look down and make sure I'm on time and read the pace notes. It was quite, you know, I just wanted to look out the window and I get all excited by it. And I, I want to see where we are against the other cars. And um, you really do have to be quite disciplined with yourself to not get carried away. Are you going to have an advantage maybe because you come from that rallying background? Um, I've, we'll, we'll talk about the surfaces in a minute, but purely just the fact that you know how to listen to and how to read pace notes, that's going to be a major advantage, I would have thought. Yeah, I think it will be an advantage. You know, when I look back at my career, it probably took me a good year to actually listen to what my co-driver was saying. I know that sounds funny, but if you've come from kind of a racing sport where you're on your own in the car or you haven't had the experience of working with that team before, your judgment can be, um, especially I, I would I would assume if you've, you've been in motorsport for a few years and you've got a lot of skill, you'd be doing it by what you can see, which is, you know, what racing drivers would do on a track, not what you're hearing. Um, and it took me a long, it took me about a year to actually really listen to my co-driver um, because I think part of it was there has to be an element of trust. So you have to trust what they're saying and you have to actually live by what they're saying and drive by what they're saying as well. Um, and for, for me, that that took that did take quite a long time to develop. Um, so I think that will be interesting to see the dynamic between the two drivers. And, you know, that's going to be a vital part of the pairings of the teams as well. It will have to be a relationship that is very um, kind of, you know, you're both on board with it. Um, but from from the actual making the pace note side, I think we will have, you know, the, the people with rally background will have the advantage because my pace notes from, from the years that I've been in rally now have developed so much from the basic left three or whatever you want to say it's much more now we know the length of the corner to the meters we know when it tightens when it opens uh, which line to be on, on on crests there's so much information um, that we're able to create into our own little language um if you like um that that that, that, that does take time and experience to develop that as well um so I'm, I'm i'm lucky to have that background and i think it's something that we'll have to rely on very heavily in those locations as well because i think maybe the route won't always be that obvious <laughs> when we're racing around the amazon rainforest um so yeah i think i think from that side i am really excited but at the same time it's it's not a selfish sport so if i go and to the race um, and I have my pace note set up, system set up one way, I have to be very aware that I might have to adapt that if the male driver in the team doesn't like this or, you know, he reads it a different way. It's, it's very much something that will have to be worked on together. Yeah, and um, you'll you'll have to spend a long time. I mean, if you are paired with a track driver, you'll have to spend a long time actually tutoring them on what everything means, I would imagine, as well. Yeah, I think there'll be an element of that. I mean, obviously, I think that they could teach me a lot from the driving side as well. Um, so I think it will be a mutual kind of relationship. Um, and I think that's going to be such an integral part of um, who's fast. You know, you have to, you're going to have to work together on stuff and you're going to have to be able to share the advice between each other. Um, so that's something that I'm excited about, actually. You know, we were talking earlier about the integrity of the drivers and, and the pedigree that we've got. I think it's going to be absolutely phenomenal um, to be able to learn some, from some of those guys and to be, um, you know, hanging out in the paddock and to be able to just pick up bits of information from people that have had, you know, such long and successful motorsport careers. Um, for us at the beginning that are starting our careers, um, I think it's going to be, you know, really invaluable to have that association. Yeah. Um, you, you've driven on snow, you've driven on ice and, uh, you know, mixed surfaces before. Um, obviously, that's that's an advantage. But, uh, you, you know, com coming into the environments that you're going to be in with Extreme E, uh, is it something uh, where you're still going to find new things? For example, when, when you go to Greenland, is that going to be familiar to you because of your ice driving? Or is it, um, is it going to be a different kind of uh, surface be because of the way it is? I think it will be familiar. Um, I, you know, I've spent for the last sort of two or three years, I've spent the whole winter up in um, Swedish Lapland in the Arctic Circle teaching ice driving, actually. Um, so I've driven a lot of different cars up there as well. Um, so I think that that experience will really come into play. Um, I think, yeah, obviously for all of us drivers, it's going to be a case of learning a brand new car. And especially with, you know, it's it it's not your typical racing car. You know, it's um, the SUV. Um, I think it's 1,600 kilograms. It's, you know, it's very unique. And I think the tyres as well that are being developed, it's going to take a while to learn on those. But in, in times like that, I think you have to remind yourself that every single driver is in the same situation. Um, so ultimately, having the experience that I've got on the rocky terrains in Cyprus, um, you know, right through to, you know, Swedish Lapland driving and Rally Sweden at the beginning of the year on snow mixed with gravel. I think all of the surfaces that I've picked up in my career so far will bring something um, experience-wise to the table that I'll be able to lean back on, um, which will be very invaluable. And that's one of the reasons that I'm feeling so excited about it, coming in from a rally driving side, 
to the championship. Um, you know, I think it, it could be what gives you the edge over some of the drivers that haven't got the experience on the different surfaces. Yeah, and um, I, I would imagine as, as 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 a young driver who over the years has had to had to make their own budget, had to you know um, may, maybe um, scrimp and save. Um, you've you've maybe got an advantage over certain drivers who've had it easy for a few years in terms of you know you're you're getting on a boat and you're going to places and you're maybe having to be in an environment which is not ideal all the time to preparation. I mean, is that something you've thought about? Yeah, I think, you know, rally is far from glamorous. Um, when you look at track racing, you know, sometimes we're, we've retired at the side of the road in Sweden and we've got to take Arctic jackets and show, uh, snow shovels because uh, we're going to get hypothermia if we get stuck. And um, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of factors that come into play and that's what makes our sport so um, exhilarating and, you know, such a thrill to drive. Um, so I think it, it will be a very familiar situation for me. Um, I'm, you know, I've, as you say, I've kind of come up from kind of the bottom haven't had it handed on a plate so I think um you know the luxury of being in the driver's program is something that's new to me and it's you know it's an opportunity that I wanted to grasp with both hands because it's it's you know a phenomenal um lineup and situation to be in with you know the selection of the teams and the way that the process is going to work um but also as you say I'm very comfortable kind of slumming it in the <laughs> in you know all of these amazing locations that we're going to go to it's not going to be like track hospitality and I'm very used to that in rally with some of the amazing locations and I think that's one of the things that comes with competing in such rural events um from my kind of um experience is that yeah it's, it might not be the most glamorous thing in the world but actually what you're doing and what the, the experiences that you're having are absolutely phenomenal and um yeah I think bringing some of that forward will be um, very essential. All of the watching on boards and in a car park somewhere waiting to go and start a rally and, you know, all of that kind of stuff is um, is very familiar to me. Uh, you've had plenty of success in the European Rally Championship as well. I, I was looking back and I saw that you actually finished fourth in your class last season, I think it was. Is that right? Uh, I think it was the year before. Yeah, last year we had we were very unlucky and we didn't actually complete the season um, just because we had mechanicals and there was nothing to fight for um, anymore. So the, the year, yeah, I think it was the year before that, um, that was, yeah, it was really cool for us, actually. Um, that was the year that I was able to go out to Cyprus um, and we did uh, Rally Cyprus out there in the, uh, with the with the massive rocks and the really rough terrain. Um, and we did Rally Mont Blanc, so that was racing around the side of Mont Blanc, which was awesome. Um, we did the Volcanic Islands and the Azores and Gran Canaria. There was loads of different locations we did that year. We were, we were able to do loads of rallies. Um, and yeah, I picked up some invaluable experience from that. Um, and what was important for me was, yes, I've in the past, um, there, there's been ladies trophies in sport and in rally. But what was important for me that 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 wasn't a, you know, segregated on gender, that was fourth place overall um, in the two wheel drive category. So that was something that I was really proud of, um, because that's exactly where I want to be, um, you know, pitching myself against the boys. And to be honest, that's one of the reasons we started in the European Championship. I didn't really start with, um, you know, UK rallying or kind of club rallying. Um, when the opportunity when the opportunity came about, we had the option to go and do ERC. And for me, I was looking at the ERC as probably the fastest juniors in the world. Um, and often, often there's a crossover between ERC drivers and JWRC drivers. So the, the the level of kind of talent I would say is pretty similar in both of those championships. So I was going from no rally experience to pitching myself against the best juniors in the world. Um, so that was, you know, it was a big step for me. But at the time we said, if I'm able to pitch myself against them and then compare and study and watch onboards back to back of the different drivers and different techniques, I will actually progress a lot faster than if I was kind of, you know, not competing against that level. Um, so that was one of the reasons that we did it. Um, and what one of the reasons we went straight into the European field. Um, and I'm glad we did, to be honest with you, because it did mean that I was able to put myself in positions that I probably wouldn't have been in if I'd have done it a different way. How important is it for a driver to go into these challenges with no fear? Because, you know, you, you could so easily be intimidated by the quality of, like you say, young drivers in the series, but you just you just went in there and competed and didn't look at that, I imagine. I mean, how important is that? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's definitely necessary to go in with um, kind of 
you know, an optimistic approach to motorsports. Not everything always goes your way. And also you've got to ignore what people are saying, you know, social media and things like that as well. You do have to develop quite a thick skin quite quickly. Um, because I think, you know, there's a lot of people that um, have an opinion on things when they don't necessarily know the situation or know how much experience you've got. Um, I know when I first started, there was probably more attention on me than there would have been um, a male in my position going into the European Championship, just because purely the fact that I was a female. Um, and so I think people were expecting me to go out and be European champion in the first year, just because, uh, you know, I was a female in the sport and they that's what they wanted to see. But Actually, I don't think the same pressure would have been put on if I was a male driver just starting out. Because, um, you know, at the end of the day, everybody has to start somewhere. Um, but I think, yeah, the no fear element is something you develop over time. And I think that's where the pace notes come in, really, when we're talking of on an event basis. Um, when you're there in the moment on the stage, you're not thinking, oh, God, this is fast. You know, I don't want to crash here. You're listening to exactly every little um, ounce of information that you can get from your co-driver. And you're just translating that through the body in the car. So it's not you're not you're not really thinking about the fear in that moment um and i think if you just take it moment by moment like that in the car then i think the fear element over time starts to dissolve as you realize how in control you are really you presumably got the got the chance to uh meet and interact with, with some real heroes of yours as well i mean um are, are there are there any moments where kind of you've you've met drivers who've had long careers and you've thought crikey you know um i i used to watch you on tv i i i used to want to be like you i mean um well i met first met michelle when we were in um rome last uh, no a couple of years ago now um it was the qualifying stage and she'd stayed um we were quali- we in the running order we were kind of quite down far um down the back of the pack coming into qualifying um and she actually stayed on the start line waiting for us to come through to have a chat and just let me know that she was watching and supporting so that was really special for me um and i was very starstruck i was just turning up to the stage and i was getting my helmet on and then suddenly michelle mouton came around the side of my car and wanted to have a chat so <laughs> um that was quite an amazing moment for me um also um i think was it last year yeah i was working on a project with uh, red bull last year at rally gb and that saw me interviewing chris meek um uh, who else did i interview i've i've been there when uh, julian porter's interviewed sebastian loeb sebastian oga um yeah i've had chats with um espekalapi um timu sunanen a lot of the wrc drivers on the events i was actually having to interview from a driver's side they wanted you know one driver speaking to another driver kind of interview um, so for me to kind of relate to them and make it an interesting interview for them, I, you know, I was really nervous about that, actually, because obviously I've never driven a WRC car before. And these guys have had so many years experience that I didn't want to be asking kind of entry level questions to the complete pros. Um, so, yeah, that was really overwhelming for me. And that was an awesome experience and kind of lapped up every second I could get with those guys and getting some tips on um, kind of preparation for events and uh, yeah, just the overall kind of way that you work yourself up through motorsport careers, really. Uh, I spoke to Michaela Orlan Kotolinski about her mental coach. Do, do you do you have uh, mental coaching yourself, and uh, do you think that that's an important part of the toolkit for a driver these days? Yeah, I have in the past. Um, I've worked with sports psychologists. I think it's one of those things you access it when you need it, um, and as much as you need it. I think every driver is very different with that. You know, I've still got kind of um, visualization audios from my first meeting with this sports psychologist that I still use today. Um, so that is useful. It's it's about preparation and it's about finding the flow that works for you. And for me, that's when I'm calm, when I'm relaxed, that's when I perform the best. Um, and I think obviously every driver is different. Some like to get themselves really hyped up, um, but it's, it's something that takes a while to develop personally. One thing that I'm um, actually doing more during lockdown because we have more time and I'm finding it is really helping me is more meditation, more yoga, things like that, which actually have a massive impact on your concentration um, and that emotional and mental fitness that we were talking about earlier. It's For me, it's kind of um, making sure that you're you're not filling your bucket up too much and that you're having that flow and that release as well because that's very important when, when the season gets back going. You've got sponsor commitments, you've got appearances, you've got flights, you've got jet lag, you know, there's there's a lot of things to contend with. And if you're not keeping uh, taking care of yourself, you can burn out very quickly. Um, so that's something that I actually, I will be taking forwards more um, when we get back to normal, hopefully. Um, and this pause has kind of made me really reflect on that and think about that. Um, but I, you know, I've, I've always been surrounded by that. My sister went out to India and she's a yoga teacher. Um, and now she's come back and she's a nutritionist and she does healthy cooking classes. So I'm very aware of how the very subtle changes uh, in your life can actually have a big impact on the overall picture. Um, so I do focus on that a lot more now, maybe than I did at the beginning of my motorsport career. And it has made a big difference to me in the bigger picture. 
This is so funny because all of the lockdown drivers I've spoken to have talked about how they've taken up cooking recently. It's 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 almost as though you know people have been transformed from these uh, you know microwave animals into into someone who knows how to knows how to gourmet be a gourmet chef because because <laughs> of the because of the lockdown. It's uh, I I would imagine there's um, other skills you've had time to develop. I mean, obviously you've been through your onboard footage and you've been sorting out your hard drives and whatever. But um, is there anything you've had more time for recently that you know maybe you've thought oh well I can get better at this now yeah everything really um I think you're able to slow down the pace a lot more with all of your training so you can do it more you know thoroughly I can do my physio exercises more thoroughly I'm um you know when you think even even stuff like playing musical instruments that's really good for your coordination and for, for your brain skills and for keeping mentally fit so all of these things are really stuff that would be it wouldn't even be on your to-do list in normal day-to-day life when you're rushing about and going up to London on the train and all that kind of thing but when you're forced to actually find things to do it, there there is a lot and um, I can't really think of many examples now I think probably meditation and yoga has been the biggest ones for me and um, that I've been really working on but cooking definitely has been up there um, as you say it's I think it gives, gives you something to do it breaks up the day a little bit doesn't it making some healthy food um, so that's that has been up there and um, gardening as well actually I've done a lot of weeding which I would never ever ever normally do <laughs> so yeah the garden <laughs> the garden is having a revamp um, and this afternoon me and my sister are actually planting a herb garden as well to try and grow some of our own stuff um grow some vegetables hopefully as well so oh, it wow. is it's funny it is like going back in, into you know the times that my grandparents would sort of talk about um, and it's probably times that you can't normally relate to in normal kind of day-to-day life when you can literally do anything you want at the click of the fingers uh, so it is really nice actually and I found a lot of enjoyment in that side of life as well and you, you said your sister was a yoga teacher and she's, she spent lots of time in India. So I, I would imagine she's given you lots of mental fitness tips and she's also, you know, taught you maybe how to meditate as well. Yeah, she's she's kind of been my rock, really. Um, my mum is as well. My mum does um, some amazing work as well. She does Reiki as well. Um, and that, she's introduced me a lot to a lot of reflexologists who are able to manage adrenal levels in my body because uh, obviously we've got a lot of adrenaline um, racing. And then when you come back, it's quite hard uh sometimes to switch off from that but you know life's about balance and to have a long career you, you really can't be um sustaining that kind of fight or flight zone um all the time so there's been lots of practices lots of books that i've read as well during this period um on that kind of mental awareness and we at red bull actually set up um a coaching session the other evening with the ceo of headspace um so he was a guy that was he went out i think it was india he went to himself and he just decided he was at uni studying sports psychology and he decided he didn't want to um, continue with it. So he just literally went out and became a monk for a few years. Um, and then when he came back, he started the app Headspace. Um, and so he was taking us through as athletes how not to freak out. Because obviously, you know, there was athletes on there that would have been going to the Olympics and would have been training for four years with the build up to that. And now all of a sudden they've had that completely, you know, uh, that that that's been taken away and their training programs have you know had to be rethought and they're not going to have that peak that they were expecting and so he was talking a lot from from the mental side of how to just stay calm and just accept what isn't um, in your control and make the best out of the situation so that was really interesting actually Um, and we were sort of doing a group meditation it was being run from LA on Zoom um, and we were doing a group meditation across all the athletes, whoever wanted to join in in the world. And we were able to offer questions as well. Um, so that was a really awesome experience. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I think across what what the feedback was from that across all of the different sports, everyone has been affected by um, the situation in the world at the minute. Nobody's really carried on as usual. And I think it's made everybody much more grateful for what we are able to do. Um, and I think that will then translate into better performance because I perform better when I'm happy and when I'm kind of really excited to be there. And I think that's going to transfer into a lot of sports and a lot of athletes when we're finally able to back to doing what we love, really. Yeah, I've I've been reading uh, um, as well a couple of interviews by the sports psychologist Steve Peters, who worked with the Olympic team back in the day, and uh, he talked about the monkey mind and how to avoid it. You know that that idea of the repetitive negative thoughts getting into it, getting into a sports person's brain. And I, I wonder, do do you have maybe a certain mantra or a certain set of words that you say to yourself uh, just when you're preparing for an event and you're trying to get back into that zone? Yeah, I, I I think this probably started once I'd seen the sports psychologist because he used to be a co uh, yeah he used to be a co driver and he recommended that I read um, the book The Inner Game of Tennis 
Um, so I read that and that was kind of my introduction to mental state around competition. Um, so I really enjoyed that actually. And I think it was um, exactly what you're talking about, the monkey mind and ego voice and not listening to that and kind of blocking that out. So one of some of the tools that I developed was um, music. So listening to stuff that makes me feel good, makes me feel happy on the way to the stage. Um, because often, you know, we'll be on road sections for an hour and a half between leaving the service and getting to the stage start. And you won't really be talking to anyone in that time. So it's quite easy to go into monkey mind and just overthink everything. So listening to music and feel good stuff for me has been a really good way of not um, encroaching, you know, not, not filling my mind with the wrong kind of um, mental attitudes. Um, and my sister more recently, actually, she gave me some techniques which were really useful. It was um, a guy that did a lot of public speaking. And he was saying that when he to, to avoid nerves of speaking to massive audiences, in the morning when he wakes up of that event, he will literally just get in this zone where he's only allowed to think about what he's doing at that time. So it's being really mindful. So for example, he'll be, okay, now I'm getting on the bus. Um, I'm now sitting in the bus. Um, I'm looking out the bus window at the trees. He's not sat in the bus on the way to the talk thinking, oh my gosh, there's going to be a full room of people. You know, it's, he's, he's um, compartmentalizing what he's allowed to think about in his brain. Um, and it's, I think that's, that's also I haven't tried it yet in competition obviously but I think that's going to be a really useful um way of not kind of overthinking what's coming up and when you've got a race at the end of the day not to sit there all day working yourself up about it um because inevitably I perform better when I try less when I think about it less and when I just let it flow that's that's really interesting and uh, I I would I would imagine I would imagine as well it's uh, some something you can take forward to uh, late, later in your career I mean um if if you sort of uh, try and think forward to you know when when you're 40 and you're looking back on your racing career what what would you what would you like to have done i mean obviously we don't know what uh, what sporting categories there there will be by that time but like is is there anything in particular that you would like to achieve or tick off by then yes um i think wrc is my main focus um so i'd love to be in a an in, in a wrc car um, with manufacturer backing and to be, you know, one of those select drivers um, and able to compete at the top of the sport, I think that would be absolutely awesome. Um, and that's something that we work towards every sort of day, really. Um, I think other than that, I think the, the amazing things that go with motorsport, you know, the places that you travel, as long as you're having fun with it, I think I'd love to go on in this sport as long as I can, really. Um, and, you know, we, we, as you say, we don't know where we'll be with, you know, the Extreme A Championship coming through next year. Um, I think that could change the way that the face of motorsport um, and the way that we impact the world as well, which is that's something that I'm really keen to get behind and to actually give something back and to be helping the environment and to be doing something purpose through full through the sport that we love um, and not just thinking about the racing side, but thinking about the sustainability of it um, and what we can bring um, and what the kind of sponsorship behind motorsport and what the fans and the interest can generate in a positive way for the communities that we race in. Um, we see it on a small level all the time, you know, when I'm, I've had it, but when I'm going through um, kind of rural areas in the Czech Republic, every year there's a little girl that stands out with a poster um, and she has a little polo, uh, a little uh, disposable camera and she's ready to take photos with me when I pull up to the stop sign uh, on the road section driving through her village. Um, so to be able to, you know, I, I'm a pen pal with her as well. So to be able to... Um, show show girls at that age that they can get into motorsport and impact um people on that level and um kind of hopefully be a positive role model for people i think is really important to me as well yeah and the, the environmental mission is is such an important one for everyone extremely i think um but um just just to a you know casual viewer who who looks at this i mean obviously it's uh it's clear to you and everyone who's who's organizing it you know what the mission is and how it works but um it, it it can seem to some people like you're going to these endangered terrains and okay you're not taking um ICE cars you're taking electric cars there but you're still driving over endangered terrain um so maybe you can explain for me how extreme e is not part of the problem and i don't think it is but maybe you can explain i think the the bigger picture of extreme e i mean obviously i you know i'm not a spokesperson for the championship but the way my kind of take on it has been that um, they're using their platform. You can see the the platform that Alejandro created with Formula E and, you know, the, the championship and the bars and the fans and the awareness that came to electric racing with that championship as well. I think he's, the idea is that they're, they're bringing the awareness, they're bringing sports, um, you know, sport has a massive following. Sport has a much bigger following than science or, um, you know, that those areas might normally get on, a, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think 
anything that at this stage is bringing awareness to that through fans watching it on TV and learning about it and understanding about it through the programs that will be aired. Um, I think, you know, the fact that we've got the ship that's going around with the scientists, with the laboratories, the specialists in those areas. And yes, we are racing on the areas that are endangered and are, you know, destroyed at the minute. The the rehab that's going to go into those areas to make them sustainable, um, I think, makes up for that 10 times over because that's something that might not be happening without the sponsorship money that this championship is going to bring to that area. Um, so I think that's the bigger way, that's the bigger picture of looking at it rather than just seeing, oh, look at that car driving over the, you know, that that deforested um, kind of area in the Amazon, you're thinking actually those trees are going to be replanted the day after that championship and great things going to be done for that area. So I think that's my kind of take on it. That's the bigger picture. Um, obviously, you know, it's all about balance in the world. And I think this this is one of the reasons that motorsport um, has kind of been maybe a little bit behind the rest of the world in terms of, you know, brands thinking about what they're putting out, what they're getting back and the sustainability of um, the world at the minute. Um, and I think for the short-term benefits of having the race in those areas, actually, this isn't just a race that's going to happen in motorsport like some other other championships are. This is, a, this is, the, this is sustainable and this is going to imp- impact that area for many years after. You've probably uh, taken a look at most of these locations. Maybe you've even been to some of them that Extreme is going to. Is there a dream venue where where you think, in terms of you know going there, in terms of see, seeing it, talking to the people, uh, you think that's something that uh, really stands out for you? I haven't been to any of the locations actually, and that was one of the things that really drew me to the championship as well. Um, I just you know I, I, most people absolutely love traveling and seeing the different cultures. Um, I think, um, yeah, massively. I would, I would absolutely love to race in Greenland on the, you know, the glaciers. I think that would be phenomenal. Um, I think the desert as well would be something quite special. Um, I've done Rally Cyprus, Cyprus, which is probably the closest I've come to that. Um, but they're probably locations that I wouldn't normally go to. You know, I wouldn't go on holiday to those places. So to be able to go there and to be doing something positive, and also visiting an area that's probably not a tourist hotspot that you know, is completely how the how the, um, the the true culture of that country and that area is. Um, it will be fascinating to learn about that and to be a part of something that can give, give back as well is really important to me. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you, you you mentioned that you're on that you're on that ship. I mean, uh, the the aim of uh, Extreme E is to turn it into a kind of a well to, to make content on the ship I believe so uh, I, I don't know um, I think they're working out at the moment whether people are going to be on the ship the whole time or just before races or something but like you're going to be spending a lot of time on that ship and there's going to be a kind of reality TV element to that as well um, uh, now obviously you've been on TV before and we'll talk about that in a minute but um, does that give you any kind of advantage over maybe the drivers who are a bit a bit more hidden a bit more private yeah, I think I'm very, I'm very used to kind of cameras being around and this year, well last uh, well the beginning of this year and going forward to the season the plan was that we would have exactly that a, a fly on the wall kind of series that was kind of at home training going to events with me and meeting my friends and all that sort of stuff um real kind of fly on the wall type stuff so I am actually used to that now and it's something that's you know I've I've accepted at the beginning of this sport that to make it you have to have something that makes that, that is able to help you stand out from other drivers to be able to get the sponsors and to be able to offer something different to the table in in motorsport and so that's something that I work quite hard on from the beginning the media training side of things um, and making sure that you're interesting and that you've got um, personality that comes across I think that's so important in motorsport it's a sport where is you know with your helmet on and when you're in the car everybody's the same really so it's really important to to then distinguish the differences and um give give yourself that personality outside of the car uh that's able to create that kind of brand image and um then hopefully brands will want to be associated with it and then that's where sponsorship comes from and etc etc enables you to race more um so it's something that i've kind of always had to develop from the beginning and i think it's massively important to companies nowadays as well um, and so I think that element, yeah, it can only be positive. Um, obviously, the, the aim for everyone will be racing and to be fast. But if you can work on any way that you can to make it more accessible and more realistic for you to be in the car as much as possible, then um, I think it's, yeah, it's only a positive. 
Um, you've been working with Susie Wolf on the Dare to Be Different campaign, and uh, Su- Susie is a great personality herself, and uh, she's somebody who is doing a great job at Venturi and Formula E. But uh, how how important has Susie been to you personally, and how important is the campaign to the community generally? I think when I first started, Susie was one of the first people that I actually met in motorsport um, that was quite influential to me. Um, yeah, I started working on the Dare to Be Different campaign. I'd sort of volunteer um, at some of their events and meet the community. Um, and then I used, to, you know, Susie used to help me. She put me in touch with her first manager in motorsport, who I went went on to work with for a year or so. Um, so that was really cool. Um, and I think following that, that gave she gave me a lot of tips, and I saw how. Um, business minded she was actually and how it wasn't just about driving how it was political sport it was um she opened my eyes to a lot of different things I might not have seen um and I was able to lean on her experience a lot and I remember she she would phone me from her home in um wherever she was in Austria or Switzerland on a Friday night and just have a catch up and see how I was doing so she you know she cared as well about female drivers which is awesome um, I think her, I think her campaign's merging with the girls on track now. The the women in motorsport commission as well. So that would be really cool to see um, going forwards. Um, I know that she's really busy, you know, with um, with Formula E now, and it's really cool to see, you know, more women in in those positions um, in in the upper half of teams as well. I think that's really cool. Um, so I don't have so much involvement with her nowadays. Um, but she, at the beginning of my career, she was yeah, she was really cool and really positive role model for me. And, and in terms of the community work that you said Extreme E was going to be doing, uh, what stands out as a highlight of that for you, or potential highlight? Well, I don't know too much information of the ins and outs of it um, at the minute. I know that they've given kind of um, brief overviews, but in terms of, you know, the day-to-day running of what will happen when we're in those locations, um, I mean, I am definitely excited to learn more about that. And that's something I'm really looking forward to getting involved in. Um yeah, I don't really, I don't really have um, kind of, I can't, I can't really pick one out at the minute. I know that they've said, you know, when we go to the flooded areas, we'll be able to rebuild homes and um, workplaces and and things like that. So that's really awesome um, to be able to make, you know, the the long lasting effects of this championship. Um, but also, I think, you know, from the bigger picture, from from trees growing and things like that, is obviously it's not immediate results. But I think it's, you know, the championship will still be having an impact from its first year in twenty years' time to the people that live there and and the small communities. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't know the ins and outs of uh, the projects that they're developing at the moment. But I am definitely looking forward to hearing more about them. Um, a, a lot of young people have come to enjoy motorsport because of things like F1 Drive to Survive and that the, those kinds of mainstream shows that, uh, you know, show the sport in a different light. But obviously, um, I, I can't think of any other car programme for children than Katie's Amazing Machines. It, it was uh, it, it was it was such a good project. I know that you're not involved with it anymore, but uh, um, you, you were saying in a different interview with The Telegraph, I think, how amazing it was to you that so many people came to you and talked about it. Um, if, are you, are you still surprised by the impact it has? Yeah, and it's one of those things you think it's kind of uh, it's quieting down a bit. And obviously, Great Grace's Amazing Machines is out now. There's a new series, but mine's just started playing again on in the UK. But also, it's just been released in Australia and Malaysia, and I've even had people in Africa sending me messages. So at the minute, it's quite funny because obviously during the lockdown, uh, there's lots of children that are having birthday parties at home, and you know there's not a lot going on for them. So I'm getting a lot of parents saying, "Can you make a video for my son? He's you know turning five, and he loves your program." So that's actually filling up quite a big chunk of my days at the minute really <laughs> which is cool because you know then again it's something that might slip through my inbox when I'm um, away racing and I don't you know have the time to be filtering through every message and um, and paying attention to that when I'm away racing so being at home and having the time to actually connect with people and get back to people um, and have chats and have um, them draw me pictures and send them and things like that is really cool actually because um, it's you know it's something that I was massively proud of and my mum was the makeup artist for it as well. So it was kind of a family project and something that I have really fond memories of. Um, we were just going for a walk yesterday in the wood and we were, we were talking about all the different stories that we had when we were filming it. Um, so it is something that I've, I absolutely loved. And if I could have done both, I, you know, I would have done. Um, but it's one of those things, it's one of those kind of junctions in life where I had to choose between a career in sort of television and a career in motorsport. Um, and I thought being young... Being in the position I was in, I just—it's just not something that I could walk away from because, you know, that was my goal coming into the industry um, to be able to be in a position that I am now. So that was something that I wanted to really press on with. Do, do you know the one contention I would have? Because I've I've seen a few of those shows. Um, uh, I, I was, uh, you know, uh, when you're surfing, I player. It's one of those things, and. Um... 
when when you when you take the piece of paper from Speedy saying what you're going to do, and then you say, "Go on, then, Speedy, off you go." Speedy always looks like he doesn't quite want to go. You know what I mean? <laughs> he did, yeah, I, yeah. Speedy was actually cool. I'll let you on in a secret here, and I'll probably get told off for telling you this. <laughs> go on. <laughs> Got, when we first got Speedy, he was actually really, really, really slow. <laughs> right, really slow. So, he, you know, we, it was quite funny because we'd stand on Anglesey track and it'd be this massive track. And obviously everything looks slow on a track, doesn't it, compared to kind of a normal lane. Yeah. Um, and so he was on the on the tarmac and I'd say, come on, Speedy. And he would literally be going at like half a mile per hour towards me. <laughs> it would be like, you know, wind blowing and all of that uh, <laughs> while I was waiting for him to get up to me. So... They had to speed it up quite a, quite a lot in the edit, um, and I think they made they made a new robot for Grace's Amazing Machines. But uh, yeah, he was not that for Speedy, which was quite ironic. So, so when you say "come on, Speedy, off you go," it's kind of ironic in a way. Yeah, it was the whole thing, and it you know it was one of the jokes that we had in the production of it because it would always be like you know trying not to laugh when you're calling him Speedy, and then it's like. <laughs> <laughs> If if you if you were to be asked by I don't know the BBC or Sky or whatever to do uh, a children's version of Top Gear, I mean that would be something that I think no one's done before that would be amazing. Uh, do you do you think a car program for children where you you know may, maybe go in depth on how a car works and where where you talk to maybe racing drivers every week, but in a, in a way that's good for children? Do you think that could ever work? Yeah, I think there's kind of two arguments to it. I think we got really close with Katie's Amazing Machines. We always call it kind of the kids' version of Top Gear. When you think of, you know, you've got to keep the attention span. You can't go into too much detail um, because, you know, I used to, we used to, it would be funny. I'd, I'd ask children what their favorite part is and I'd give them loads of engineering and loads of parts of it. And then, you know, they're always going to be like, oh, I like the red car. I like the blue car. <laughs> And that's just one of the great things about the way that children's, you know, the children's brains work. Um, so I think there's a balance. There's definitely a balance between um, keeping it interesting and keeping them engaged and, get, you know, giving them useful information. Also keeping the show short because it has to be, um, I think it's, I think it was 15 minute shows. I think that's what they were um, because otherwise, you know, people will switch off. And I think we really kind of hit the nail on the head with it in that series because it was, it was informative. You know, I was, I was learning so much myself. And there was, you know, about all the controls, about driving combine harvesters and submarines and helicopters. And, you know, there was there was so many amazing experiences in there. Um, and some of it was quite, you know, some of some of the things that I was learning and that I was having to explain on TV were quite difficult comp and like um, topics for me to even comprehend. So um, I think we did we did quite well. Um, I think, yeah, as you say, it would be cool to have um, more interviews with people from the industry. Um, but when we did uh, try each machine, we had an expert in that field talking to us about it. Um, so we had um, people from the F1 speedboat racing team. Um, we had proper pilots. We had an RAF trainer. Um, so I think that we did. Yeah, it wasn't just cars. It was lots of different um, industries. But I think it was a really nice broad spectrum of that. Um, and I think... Um, yeah, going forward, I mean, there's definitely the opportunity to do more with it. And I think that it was, it was, you know, it was so popular. I had another two series commissioned immediately um, following the from following the show. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised in the future if there's not something similar that comes out um, in a few years' time. Just moving on finally to, we've, we've talked, um, you know, on and off about the Extreme E car and I, I've talked to other people about it as well. And um, it, it it is a bit of a thick boy. It's a massive monster. You know, it's, um, uh, I, I think Michaela was saying it's uh, twice the size of her Swedish touring car. So it, it's it's not a small machine. How how different do you think that'll feel to your Ford Fiesta in, in the WRC? Yeah, I think for everybody, you know, as you say, Michaela, she's tested the car. I haven't actually tested it. Um, we're working towards a test um, in July, actually, I think, um, to try the car in France, which would be cool. I'll be able to give you some more feedback then. But um, I think it will be different for sure. But that's one of the things that I think, you know, I keep coming back to my rally experience and the experience that we'll have compared to um, people that have raced on track. The off-road element is something that I'm not, you know, it's not it's not that different for me. We, we have changes in ride height. We have changes in suspension when I race in the desert in Cyprus compared to what I'd have on Spanish tarmac. Um, so I am acclimatized to feeling the differences and to picking up um, the pace quickly in, in different environments like that. Um, and I also, I did a, a race with Bentley at the beginning of the year on ice. Um, so it was like a two-ton Bentley that we were um, competing in the GP ice race in Austria. Um, so that was quite heavy. That was quite big. Um, and we got on with that okay. So I'm, I'm thinking if I can just have a couple of test days with the SUV, then I'll uh, pick it up quite quickly. I can't even imagine driving a Bentley on ice. Was it the GT3 car or something else? 
Yeah, so it was actually the exact car that they had um, for Pike's Peak. Um, so it was, it, yeah, it was it was phenomenal. I don't know if you've oh seen a picture Lord. of it. If you want to have a um, look, you can Google the GP Ice Race. Um, I will have a look. And, it, you know, we had a roof rack on the top. We had, uh, it was a Continental GT. So it was, um, it was, it was absolutely hilarious. It was, um, we had like bomber skis with a sponsor. So we had skis on the roof and I was dragging a skier behind. So it's it ski during, which is a sport out there. So he's holding onto a rope off the back of the Bentley and we're going round laps and laps on the circuit. Um, and it's all done, it's all based on style. And we had the mountains paint, painted on the Bentley. But it was funny actually, because, um, the, the rules were that the tires had to be kind of road worthy road going tires um and we were we were running with Pirelli's that was the sponsor of Bentley um and we only had I think we we had under a millimeter spikes um it was something like 0.6 or something that we were running with which when you're driving a car that big with it that's that heavy it doesn't really make that much difference um and we we were up against kind of really light Porsches that had they'd said Oh yeah, but in Austria, in this part of um, the mountains, you really need really big spikes. So this tire manufacturer have developed this specialized tire, which is actually not illegal in that part. And they were like seven mil studs, and all the rally cars came with the proper seven mil studs on. Um, so that was it was really funny actually because our car would be absolutely sideways everywhere, um, looking like completely out of control, um, and it was just completely showboating. It was a really awesome experience to drive that, and it went down uh, really well with the crowd there the boss of the motorsport team invited me into the factory and um, to have a look around when I, I was working in the area and he just happened to email me out the blue and said do you want to come and have a look around the Bentley factory and I was saying okay yeah that was awesome so I went around and I saw the whole production line and um the motorsport team and then he, he explained this idea to me and he was saying they want to show it as a dynamic car uh, they want to have a female racing it because what's more dynamic in motorsport now than having girls behind the wheel and to be putting you know their Bentley they don't, they don't want it to be a car that is just a city going car they wanted to show it as a sports car as performance car which i think we really did uh, there's no better way to do that than having it absolutely sideways <laughs> across the finish line in an ice race um so yeah it was it was an amazing experience and obviously it was one of those things that you just can't turn down but also you know coming back to coming back to the whole um experience side of things going taking it into a different championship with the extreme e that's that's an, again another heavy machine that i've been able to have a lot of time on on ice testing in finland um and that's all experience that I'll be able to cluster together to take that to my um, kind of uh, championship next year in Extreme E, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you, and you know, just to close things off, uh, some some, pe some people who've driven it, uh, I think uh, Michaela, Ken Block and a couple of other people have driven it, have said it's remarkably light. Is this the first EV that you've uh, that you've raced? Yes, it will be. Yeah, so that that is one thing that will be completely new for me. Um, and that you know, I've read some absolutely amazing things of people saying it's going to have the same torque and horsepower of WRC cars, but obviously it's an SUV and it's a uh, 1.6. So it's, you know, when you look at the weight of that, you know, 1,600 kilograms, um, and you think, wow, that that is, is, you know, for it to feel like with an electric motor, I haven't got any um, experience in electric racing, but I think it's just going to be. One of those one of those times in motorsport when you can't take any any expectations for that test. It's got to be getting in and just getting a feel for it and getting the kilometres under your belt. And that's exactly you know the same situation with the Bentley when I tried that on ice for the first time. You really have to leave all the other principles at the door and not think right. Well, yeah, but I want to fine tune this and I want to fine tune this. You have to really learn how to drive the beast and then you can start bringing your experience to the table and start fine tuning the details. Well, that's fantastic. Um, thank you so much for doing this, Katie. Really appreciate it. Oh, no, it's great to chat to you. Thank you for having me on. No problem. And uh, I wish you all the best when the JWRC starts again. Hope that the herb garden goes well as well. <laughs> it's a lovely day for it today, isn't it? I'll go and get my uh, gardening gloves on now. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the eTalking podcast. In the next edition, I'll be chatting to Porsche Formula E test driver and extremely hopeful, Simona de Silvestro. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your audio. Bye for now.